ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You know how much we love to share our favorite books with you here on the podcast. We all love to cozy up with a book and a cup of tea, but the truth is, we're always on the go. That is the absolute truth. And audiobooks have been a really incredible way to keep up with our reading while doing lots of other things in our lives. So driving the kids to school, hiking, taking trips to the dog park, or most importantly, folding laundry. I do not like to waste my time. So listening to an audiobook while I fold laundry makes me feel like I'm doing something important. Sandy, what are you listening to these days? Right now, I am absolutely loving Americana, which is a novel by Chimananda Ngozi Adichie. She was the one who wrote We Should All Be Feminists. That's where I was introduced to her, and I love it. Yeah, that's a good one. And you? I am also reading a novel right now, The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. And if you have not read this book yet or seen it all over the internet and all over the bookstore, you should definitely download it. It's amazing. You can get The Female Persuasion or Americana or a different audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 77, Autumn. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery, as well as our special guest for today, Autumn Whitboyd. Autumn is an attorney based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She has her own law firm, and she's going to share her journey from traditional firm work to solo practice to now running her own firm that specializes in working with creative entrepreneurs and other online business owners. Autumn's story is particularly heartwarming to me as a fellow lawyer. I love to see other lawyers who are also thriving as entrepreneurs, but it's also helpful for those of you who are starting to tease out some of the legal issues that may be popping up in your own business. Where do you need to be protected? What kind of protections do you need to have in place? When can you DIY versus when do you need to hire an attorney? These are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about in this conversation. So without further ado, here is Autumn Whitboyd. Welcome, Autumn, to our podcast. We're so excited to have you here as an attorney myself who does not talk about legal issues on this podcast. I'm excited to have someone like yourself who is practicing and who provides some information and clarity to our audience. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So we're interested always in starting out with your story. So we work primarily in the wellness industry. That's been our audience for the most part so far, but we have increasingly others joining as well. And we fancy ourselves ambitious women who have transitioned into (laughs) entrepreneurship from previous professional careers. So I would love to hear a little bit about your journey from 
attorney to entrepreneur slash attorney. What's the lowdown of your story? So I've been a lawyer now for 14 years, um, and I started my own firm about three years ago. And I had a very traditional legal path before that point. I went to Vanderbilt for law school. And then after graduation, I wanted to be a litigator, so doing trial practice. So what most litigators do is try to get a clerkship with a judge. So you work closely with the judge and you kind of see all the behind the scenes. You're in the courtroom helping out with all kinds of things. So I had a, a clerkship here in Chattanooga. Um, and had no intentions of staying in Chattanooga, but just came here for the two-year job and then just totally fell in love with Chattanooga. Um, and for various life reasons, personal and otherwise, I had planned to go back to Nashville for a job after the clerkship, but ended up just deciding to stay here. So I worked for a big firm and then I had always wanted to do copyright and trademark work. And frankly, I mean, Chattanooga is not exactly a bastion of creativity, although it is more now than when I started. Um, but so there just frankly wasn't a lot of that work here to be done at the firm where I was working. So I ended up being local counsel on a case uh, that was a copyright case for a local painter. And the firm that was handling that specialized in copyright cases and they hired me away. So it was a like total dream job. I got to telecommute. So I set up a home office. I got to work in my yoga pants. But it was a fair amount of travel because none of our cases were here. They were mostly in the Northeast. The partner I worked with was in Philadelphia and the other partner was in Colorado. So a lot of our cases were in those two places. So I did that job for almost seven years and I got a ton of great experience. I got to you know, go to New York and take depositions pretty frequently. And we ended up having a jury trial in Philadelphia that was almost four weeks. <laughs> so a lot of travel, a lot of stress. And in that seven years, I got married and had twin babies. So that just kind of rocked my world, as you can imagine. Absolutely. Um, and we have a ton of support here. I have always had full-time daycare. My husband is also an entrepreneur. So he had kind of the ups and downs, and I was the steady one for a long time. And then it just got to a point where my job was no longer sustainable for our family. I was working like a crazy person. And even working from home in my yoga pants, 60 to 80 hour weeks, it's still just no fun. Yeah. And I was, you know, being mean to the kids and just no fun to be around. So he, my husband literally, I remember we were having dinner one night and he just said like, something's got to change and I don't know what it is, but like, we need to figure this out. So that kind yeah. of got my brain. I feel like when you give your brain a problem, it starts looking for solutions. And to, up to that point, I thought I had kind of the cushiest job in the world. Like I was doing the kind of work I wanted to do. I had a ton of flexibility. Like if a, a kid was sick, I could stay home with them and it wasn't a big deal. But it was time to try and find something else. So at that point, I looked around in Chattanooga. We really didn't want to move to Atlanta or LA or Nashville, the other places where I could do the kind of work I wanted to do. So looking around Chattanooga, there just wasn't really a place that I wanted to go. And so with a lot of encouragement from my husband that I could do it, I decided to start my own law firm. And in the beginning, I really thought it was just going to be a solo practice. Uh, but as you mentioned, I am ambitious. And it's like once you get a taste of what you can build, and then you kind of just start making bigger and bigger goals. So in the last year, it's really become a, a small law firm for online and creative entrepreneurs. So there's now two other attorneys who work with me, and we have a paralegal and an assistant. And we're just growing and growing and growing. That is fantastic, Autumn. I'm really curious about your decision to focus your practice for online entrepreneurs. Where did that come from? And then also, I'd love for you to talk about 
your experience working as an online entrepreneur, as all of us do, Mm -hmm. creating content and having a podcast and having to market yourself online. Can you talk to us a little bit about that decision? Yeah. So when I first started, I really thought that I was going to be mostly working with startup companies. I thought it was a good fit for my expertise. And we have a big startup movement here in Chattanooga. So there's, you know, a whole kind of ecosystem built around startup companies. But what I found after I started kind of targeting and speaking to them is that startups are hard for lawyers because (laughs) A, they don't really have the budget. And B, they don't really want to be slowed down by legal. Like they just kind of want to get the thing going and like they kind of worry about legal later. So um, what I found was that that was just not a great fit for me because, you know, maybe a larger firm could kind of take a loss in those first couple of years and maybe do some pro bono work. But as a solo, I really needed to, you know, be collecting on my bills. As I was kind of getting started, I did a lot of just learning about business. And so I was in some online Facebook groups for entrepreneurs and just meeting people and learning and listening to podcasts. Um, The Being Boss podcast came out right around the time that I started my firm. Uh, So I just devoured all of, you know, all of that and joined that Facebook group. And people started asking legal questions in those groups. And I just found that no one was answering them. So it would like it literally revealed itself as a hole in the market. And I was like, oh, I think I'm kind of perfectly positioned to do this. Like, I like these people. I like the kinds of businesses they're building. Uh, I can help them with most of the things they need help with. And, you know, in the three years I've had my firm, my business has really grown as those same businesses have kind of grown and matured. So it was a it was a very natural, you know, it wasn't something intentional, but it was a very natural fit. And can I just go back to your education? Because I think most most of us who go through school and go through law school don't encounter entrepreneurship until we're sort of thrown into it. Did you have an inkling? I remember having an inkling in school and I had an Etsy shop the whole time I was in law school. I made jewelry and sold jewelry because it was my sanity. Like it was it was not even about business, but I, I started to get more and more curious about digital marketing and online business and business in general from that path. And so for you, was there ever a moment or an inkling that you thought like maybe one day I'm going to do my own thing? No, Never. like not even a little bit. Wow. No, I am t- I'm super risk averse, as I think many lawyers are. And I really had no business background. I was a journalism major in undergrad. So I've always liked writing and researching and talking to people. Those are kind of my yeah. zone of genius. Um, No, I never thought I would do this. And honestly, if my husband hadn't pushed me, I probably never would have even considered it. And I've really loved it. And it's been a wonderful fit for my personality and for the things I want to do. So I'm so glad I did take that risk. And I think more lawyers, I, I feel like business courses should be mandatory in law school because so many of us work with businesses, but don't really understand how businesses are built or even work. Yeah. Uh, I did take an accounting class in law school, and that was really helpful just to be able to read a balance sheet and understand kind of how things work. But I wish I had done more of that. But I think that's true for so many people who study a certain area, whether it's clinical practice or law or medicine or whatever. Ultimately, you end up being a solopreneur or run your own practice, and you need to understand the business side of things. And it doesn't come. I think chiropractic is the only specialty that actually that I know of that teaches how to run a business, which is very smart. And I think more of these schools or these educations should because it's it's a skill that you need. So you're kind of left floundering. You've got the expertise, but you don't know how to run your own practice, or you have to quickly learn, right? Yeah. Like I said, in the beginning, I was just reading everything and listening to podcasts. And then as my business has grown, I've invested in coaches and courses. I mean, not to a crazy amount, but, you know, as it made sense for my business and I felt like I was missing skill sets, 
that's been something that I've invested in and that has really helped me grow. So I want to ask about marketing your firm. Because you primarily focus on online entrepreneurs and you are online yourself, a lot of your marketing is around content. Mm -hmm. How do you find the balance between your actual work versus the time you have to put into marketing your business and being out there as a thought leader in this space? It is tough. Right now, at this point, I'm spending maybe two hours a day on actual legal work. And mm. I'm spending a lot of time on the phone with clients, doing email. So it's not like I'm only doing two hours of actual client work, but of actually sitting down and writing a contract or you know those kinds of really focused things. And the rest of the time is administrative and a lot of marketing. So it's just a balance. I have my own podcast, the Legal Roadmap Podcast, shameless plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it in iTunes and anywhere else. I would say I tried different types of content to market my law firm. I tried writing blog posts and doing videos and all kinds of different things. And being a lawyer, I think we are taught to be so precise and to do so much research. And we put so much time and energy into our writing that I was spending a whole day to write a a single blog post. Mm -hmm, Exactly. uh, Because you can't just kind of spitball it. And so that just was not practical for me. Like I know there are other lawyers who do blogging and love it, but it just didn't work for me. It was too much time. And so I landed on doing the podcast as a way that I could spend 15 or 20 minutes planning, doing a quick outline and then recording, and it's maybe an hour start to finish. And then my team helps with different pieces of actually getting it out, turning it into an email and a post on our website and things like that. But yeah, it is a balance. You could spend 40 hours a week doing marketing. I wish I had more hours in the day and I would spend more of it on marketing. This last year, I've really been trying to build my local connections. So I love working with the virtual and online businesses, but I feel like I was kind of ignoring what was in my own backyard. So I've been doing a lot more, not just going to networking events to go, but intentionally reaching out to the kinds of businesses that I think are a good fit. We have a lot of local web design agencies and creative agencies that are so similar to the clients that I work with all over the country virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really great. Yeah, it's a trap, I think, when you start your online business that you you hide behind your screen and you think that you build something and people are going to find you through Google (laughs) and they're just going to come and you're going to be flooded with customers and you never actually have to speak to anyone again. It's a danger, right? And it's a great point. And honestly, Jenny and I are, are exactly there too. And we're really questioning, you know, how much ROI do we get on our Instagram posts, for example? Mm-hmm. We spend way too much time worrying about the photo and the editing and the caption writing and all this, where I can go have coffee with someone. And oh my God, they want to become a client right away because they've met me and could see their potential that they have in their business. And because there's a level of trust because of that one coffee meeting, oh my God, we've got a new client. Or I could have spent, you know, an hour writing an Instagram (laughs) and it goes nowhere, right? So I think that's a really good point that we forget that we can still have an online business and go actually network and talk and and face-to-face is just as important. I also apply this online. So I have virtual coffee chats that are the same Mm -hmm. um, and reach out to people in Facebook groups or I'm in a group called Co-Commercial that's Tara Gentile's online community and just reached out to a woman this week and said, hey, I see you're doing this thing that I've thought about doing. I would love to just hear how it's worked for you. And she's like, oh, that's great. I'm interested in your business too. So, you know, whether that turns into business or it's just a nice connection, you know, those are the kind of personal things that really move your business forward. Not just like you said, having a huge Instagram following, but nobody actually buys. Right. I have a tactical question for you about networking. Do you strategically use LinkedIn? I don't. Okay. Um, I feel like it's this thing that I could invest a lot of time and energy into, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, I think that's where we're at too. I am business to business, which I've heard LinkedIn is great for, but I'm not sure that my potential clients that I really want to work with hang out there. Mm -hmm. 
So that's the thing like about posting and trying to get a lot of engagement there. I just don't know that they're spending time. I do use it. I will say I, I don't really ever do a cold email or a, you know, reach out to someone without any kind of connection. And so I do use LinkedIn, especially locally to figure out who do I know who knows that person. And then I'll ask either for an introduction or I'll say, hey, do you mind if I just, you know, say that you recommended I get in touch with them? Because that will open doors 99% of the time. And that's really effective mm-hmm. and doesn't take much time at all. We've been putting our podcasts on LinkedIn, like the little video, uh-huh. um, and the watches or views is quite astounding on LinkedIn. Oh, that's way, great. Way higher than, than Facebook. But what that does, <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> right. it's just like, it's an interesting metric, right? But I don't know how yeah. it translates to, to business. But it's been something we've just been experimenting with lately. So That's something I'll think about. I have someone who helps me a little bit with marketing, and she just had a baby. So we're on a little bit of a break. But I have a couple of projects for her when she comes back, so I might add that to the list. I've been thinking about YouTube as you know another mm-hmm. kind of platform to look at more, but I haven't invested the time, yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit, Autumn, and talk about just some legal strategy that we can share with our audience. And so we get asked, and I think the danger is because I have a background in law, but I'm not a business lawyer. <laughs> The danger is that I get asked these questions all the time and I'm always like, you should seek competent counsel in your local jurisdiction. <laughs> and you know, and anytime I say anything, I'm always like hedging and this isn't advice, right? So I would love for you to share some thoughts on these questions with our community. So the first one, and I know it's an area of expertise for you, is around trademarks. We get asked constantly, we have a lot of yoga studios and gyms and Pilates studios that use our software. And we get asked, should I be trademarking my name? And oftentimes, these yoga studios all have the same names. (laughs) Like, there are like four clients that have the exact same name, right? Like, so, like, obviously, there's some issues there, and there's a database to search. Our technology company, we have a trademark for our name, and I say, like, these are the reasons why we've taken these steps. Mm -hmm. What is your advice for an online business or sort of a local business that's akin to a yoga studio in terms of pursuing a trademark. And so here's my standard disclaimer. This is not legal advice. (laughs) (laughs) This is information only. I am not your lawyer. In general, when I have these conversations with people who come to me and ask, is it time to get a trademark? These are the things I tell them to think about. So first, I want everybody to be doing searches, even if they're not doing a registration. So before you choose a name and maybe every year or so, You want to be checking the USPTO database. You want to be doing a Google search. I recommend setting up a Google alert for your name just so you can kind of see what's out there and keep an eye on the marketplace. Because in the United States, your trademark rights are based on first use. So it's like a race. The first person to use a trademark for a particular type of product or service, they win. But if you don't register them, it's just going to be local. So if you're talking about a local yoga studio that's only got one location, it's only going to be in your community that you have those rights. So if a yoga studio in Chattanooga has a great name and another one opens up in you know California, there's no conflict there because your rights are only going to be in Chattanooga and you have totally different customers. And the thing to remember with trademark, any, any kind of trademark questions is the trademark law exists to prevent customers from being confused about whether two companies are related or not. So you're supposed to be able to identify the source of a product or service. And that's why we have trademarks. That's why we give them protection. So if you think about it that way, you know, my yoga studio in Chattanooga is not going to cause any confusion for the one in California. So first thing, definitely be searching whether or not, and you can do that on your own. You don't have to hire a lawyer. Although when it's time to register, I would say you definitely do want a lawyer to do that search and help you see what comes up and evaluate the risk. Because there can be some negative consequences. I don't know if you had 
any issues during your registration, I hope not. But sometimes if you file a registration application and there's somebody else out there with a similar trademark, it will put you on their radar where you never would have been. Yeah, and now all right. of a sudden you get a cease and desist letter and they want you to change your name. And I've got a client going through that right now and it's a total nightmare. Mm -hmm. Even though we knew it was a possibility, it's still a total nightmare. The non-lawyer here would like mm -hmm. to know, where would I search? Where are you talking about when you say go search for? I recommend three searches. The USPTO website, so it's just USPTO.gov. That's the Patent and Trademark Office. And the search is called TESS. It's T-E-S-S. -S. It's totally free, and it's like a Google search. You just put in the, the words and click search. The second one is a Google search. And then the third is your state's Secretary of State website, or some of them have a different, whatever the business database is for registered companies in your state, just to make sure there's not already one out there with the same name if you wanted to form an LLC at some point, or if you already have. Thank you. I have a business partner who is a lawyer, so I just sit here and she goes, let me check. Da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. Not used, we got it. So I don't actually yeah. know the details. So. It's <laughs> a little you. more complicated than that, Sandy. But I'm glad that yeah. that's what goes on in your mind when you think <laughs> of what I'm doing. So here's the issue, Autumn, with everything that you've said. I think what's happening in our market and our community is that we have a lot of businesses that were primarily local businesses until now and now they're not and so how does this play out i guess then this makes the case for perhaps pursuing an official sort of u.s trademark if you're thinking of taking that step of say taking a studio online that had been only a local business until now yeah absolutely so when we're talking about whether we should register i always say to think about are you making money from the trademark so you know, a business name or a product name that's profitable that you're mm -hmm. gonna stick with for a while because the trademark application process can take a year or more. That's right. So it's it's not fast <laughs> and it is expensive. So it's an investment. So you wanna make sure that you're gonna stick with it long enough to, you know, to have that investment be worth it. So we wanna think about, are we gonna stick with it? Is it profitable? And then do we need nationwide protection? Because that's really the benefit to having the the federal trademark versus just relying on your common law automatic state law rights. Mm -hmm. And so when you are taking something nationwide or even international, now you're if you're registering with the US, you're only gonna have those rights in the US because trademarks are territorial. At that point where you're taking a local brand online, that's a, a great point to think about, you know, does this investment make sense? Mm -hmm. It is probably gonna be thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's not inexpensive. And even if you file it on your own, there are filing fees. Right. So it's definitely something to, to consider. Yeah. And I agree with you. I don't ever recommend that someone goes through this process on their own. I always recommend that they would hire an attorney because this is a nationwide process. It's a federal issue. You are able to work with clients in all of the 50 states on this issue. That's right. Yeah. So if you need a trademark filed, folks, you have one resource to go to. Please do not ask me yeah. to do it for you. <laughs> we hired a law firm. Like, I don't have time to do this. So you want to hire someone who is a professional at this and who will handle the letters back from the patent and trade office. <laughs> yeah, it is like an adversarial process. It really is. There are attorneys at the USPTO and it is their job to find a reason to deny your application. Yep. It's not like they're just rubber stamping it and they will ask you questions that you will not know how to answer if you don't. And even lawyers, like some of them are really tricky. Right. So it's definitely, if you're making this investment, I do think it's worth either just saving up or waiting a little bit yeah. until you have the budget to do it the right way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. 
Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. Okay, and so beyond trademarks, which I think is probably the most common question we get asked beyond waivers, and I won't put you on the spot with waivers because I... (laughs) Use them. I mean, that's my answer. Use them and their state law varies. So the other thing that I notice a lot of our community members and clients not doing is including terms of use in their website footer. And now there's all this talk about privacy policy with GDPR, which we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) But I just want to hear your opinion on whether or not every single business owner who has a website should, in fact, include terms of use and a privacy policy. Yeah, so the privacy policy is required by law. So that is not a maybe. That's a yes, you you must have a privacy policy. It's required under California law. If you're an online business doing business across the United States, you probably have somebody in California. So that is a requirement. And now with GDPR, which is the new EU privacy regulation, which I could talk about for hours but won't, there's now really stiff penalties and there's new requirements for your privacy policy if you even potentially touch someone in the EU, which again, most of us probably do. Um, so yeah, privacy policy is a requirement. And if you need a template, again, another shameless plug, I do have them on my website. Lots of lawyers have privacy policy templates, and those are tricky to come up with on your own. So I would either hire someone to work with you on one or find a template from someone you think is reputable. Mm -hmm. Agreed. To make sure you, because there's just a lot of very specific requirements about what you're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. um, And it's important to get that right. And I will say we have purchased yours and gone through it, and I find it to be very well written and articulated. So I would support anyone who wants to look further into those options. And that website is awbfirm.com. <laughs> so what about terms of use or terms and conditions? How do you feel about that document? The terms and conditions are going to be basically the rules of the road for visitors to your website. So it's optional, but I think it's a really good idea. It tells people whether they can copy your content and share it, or if you want them not to. Um, It tells them how you're going to deal with if someone thinks that you've stolen their content. It just tells them all kinds of different things. If you have a forum or if you let people comment on your post, you know, you can have rules for what people can say and whether you can delete them or whether you can, if someone says something really nice, maybe you can use that in your marketing. Um, So it just, it gives you the opportunity to, to tell people how you're going to interact with them on your website. That's usually where I'll also put if you are doing any kind of sponsored posts or um, any competitions or things like that where you need some legal disclosures or disclaimers, I usually throw those in the terms and conditions. That way it's all in one place. So I think it's a good idea. It's not required, but I think it's a great idea. Now, what's a little different and I think is really, really important, if you're selling digital products or courses or you have an online community, especially if it's paid, is to have terms of use or terms of service. And that's basically your contract with your customer. And so that, I think, is really, really important because that's going to protect your intellectual property. It's going to tell people what to do if they want a refund or whether you don't give refunds. It's just going to set out how you work with people or how they can interact with you. So I think that's really critical. Good. Well, you heard it from the expert, folks. Please (laughs) heed Autumn's advice and include these documents as links in your website. (laughs) Any other advice, Autumn, for folks who are jumping into online business who are, you know, maybe in their first year or two who have not really taken the time to think about legal considerations? Is there something somewhere you would send them? Is there something else they need to be thinking about at this point? Yeah, the other thing to think about, especially if 
people are not doing digital products, but are providing some sort of one-on-one service. So maybe they're doing like an online coaching program or, um, you know, teaching classes online that people can do one-on-one. I think it's really important that you have a contract that you use with people who are buying your stuff, whether that's, you know, the terms of service or terms of use with a digital product or just a one-on-one contract for services. And it's going to cover all those same kinds of things. What are people paying you? What's your refund policy? Do you have a deposit? What if they cancel a class at the last minute or don't show up? You know, do you reschedule? All of those kinds of things. If you have a dispute, where do you have to file a lawsuit, like God forbid, (laughs) but we're all doing business across the United States and you could have two different states where that could happen. And so you can just save yourself a lot of headache and drama later by putting this all into writing. And I'd say if you're just getting started, I would rather you have something than nothing. So don't feel like you have to wait until you can afford to work with a lawyer and make it perfect. Like something is better than nothing. So Mm -hmm. even if it's just something you're putting together or you buy an inexpensive template and fill in the blanks, just having something, because you will, like things will go well and then you'll have a nightmare client or you'll have a terrible situation. And if it's all in writing, it just makes it a lot easier to figure it out. Yeah, that's great advice. We just did a contract for our bespoke clients and Mm -hmm. I feel like the language is so clear. I don't know if that's changed in the legal world. I hope it's changing. Maybe I'm just getting smarter, but I get it. It's very clear what both sides of the expectations are, and I get it. Where years ago, I'd be like, what? Yeah, and a good contract should not be one-sided. Mm-hmm. It should be very even for, you know, it should protect both sides. You shouldn't feel skeezy sending it to someone. <laughs> and it should be easy to understand. Like, there are certain things, like about jurisdiction or indemnification. These are like terrible legalese. Those kind of do have to have magic words, but a lot of it should be very easy to understand. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Wonderful. So we're going to take you through Proust's questionnaire. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you just answer with whatever answer pops into your head first. So what is your idea of perfect happiness? Ooh, a good book and a glass of champagne. What is your greatest fear? Ooh, uh, losing my family. Which living person do you most admire? Hillary Clinton. What is your greatest extravagance? monogramming everything. What is the quality you most like in a person? Um, Cheerfulness. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? I don't know. I interrupt a lot. (laughs) What do you consider your greatest achievement? Building this business. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Mm, uh, Glitter. (laughs) (laughs) What is your most treasured possession? Probably my wedding rings. What is your greatest regret? I don't really dwell on regrets. And what is your motto? If it's valuable to your business, it's worth protecting. (laughs) Great. Thank you. what I say all the time. So on brand. It's so perfect. (laughs) Okay. And we end every podcast with a joy and a hustle. So if you could suggest a joyful resource that our listeners can research or purchase or read or sign up for, and then also a hustle, a tool that can help them forward their business. So when I was prepping for this, I was thinking about just something that makes me joyful. And so I was going to tell you that I'm about to go on vacation. So I would suggest that everyone take a vacation. Good (laughs) advice. Where are you going? We're going to the beach, um, just to Panama City with with my kids. But we're taking a helper. My niece is coming with us. And so this is our first vacation where I think I might get to actually relax for a minute. Uh, My kids are, my twins are six and my daughter is two. So we are in the trenches. That's That's great. That's a lot. That's great. So it should be fun. Um, And then for the hustle, I wanted to recommend two tools that we use to run our online virtual business, 
which are Asana, which is a project management tool. Mm -hmm. It's online. It's free. We did recently upgrade because we have a lot of team members and we got some additional functionality, but we use the free version for a long time. Um, and if you're doing, especially if you do repetitive things, you can set up checklists. That's how we do content really quickly now. We have a checklist every week for the podcast and it just goes really quickly. And we have our trademark system kind of systematized also. And then hand in hand with that, we use Harvest for time tracking, which is another online app, totally free. As a lawyer, I am used to time tracking, but we do most of our projects at a flat rate. So it can be kind of hard to figure out profitability. So I've been, especially now that I have two other lawyers on my team and a paralegal, I've been really, I've been making everyone track their time so that we can see how much time are we actually spending on things and are we appropriately pricing things. And they work hand in hand. So you can like click a little button in Asana and it'll start a timer and harvest. Wow, that's great. Oh, that's great. I haven't heard of that one. So thank you for that. And then I'm just going to add a hustle because... I can do that because I'm the co-host of this podcast. I just want to, first of all, thank you, Autumn, for all your work on the GDPR. The irony is that today is the day that it comes into effect. (laughs) It's GDPR day. And I'm sure you've got like GDPR hangover. But I know you've done a lot of webinars and Facebook Lives and you've, you've now are releasing that as podcasts. And I just want to let everyone know that if you do want some clarification, if you're kind of still feeling a bit confused that you have a great four-part series on your podcast. It ended up as three because I'm going on vacation. I think you said four, but yes, okay. <laughs> I, I'm sure I did. <laughs> so just know that that is available to all of you and you explain it really well and you make Thank it you. very accessible. And I just want to acknowledge that work and that it's there for everyone. We did not intentionally, we t- did not want to talk about GDPR today because I'm sure you're like, No one ah, wants to talk about GDPR. Done. I'm done. Yeah. And we've got a full training on our website, which has like some screenshots of best practices and suggestions. So that's really helpful. And that's just at awbfirm.com slash GDPR. So it's easy to find. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Autumn, for your time. This was really wonderful and I know will be very helpful for our listeners. Thanks so much. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.